Welcome to the Juggernaut Podcast, everybody. This is our second episode of the podcast presented by the most powerful Remax in the world, Remax Gold. Remember, the Juggernaut Podcast is dedicated to helping professionals in the real estate community become an unstoppable force, a juggernaut. When the real estate profession gets better, everybody wins. If this is your first time tuning into our podcast, we have a new episode the third Wednesday of every month. You can also visit our website at juggernautpodcast.com. Share the podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying us, please give us a rating. We would love to continue to grow the podcast audience and help that real estate community continue to become an unstoppable force. And I'd like to introduce my co-host, Anthony James, Vice President of Professional Development here with Remax Gold. Anthony, say hi to our audience. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be here. What's going on, Stephanie? How are you? I'm great. Looking forward to an amazing episode today with our special guest, and I'd like to introduce our special guest. The machine. <laughs> Danny Blanco is an agent in our Rockland office with the Remax Gold. He's been with the company for almost 15 years. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Anthony and Stephanie. Uh, it's been a pleasure and honor of you guys uh, having me in the, in the new series of uh, podcasts. We think it's going to be great, and our listeners are really going to learn a lot from your story. So let's dive in. Danny, your first passion in your professional career wasn't real estate. Tell us about what that first passion was and how that changed your life. Yeah, I didn't know anything about real estate when I was that little. (laughs) But uh, baseball, Um, um, I came from a family of uh, athletes, and I have a cousin back in the day that he played and the major league level, and he was very uh, big star in Venezuela. So that inspired me. To, you know what? I, I want to someday want to be like like my cousin Robert Perez. Danny, you're born in Venezuela, is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so, how old were you when you started looking up to your cousin? Uh, what was his name again? Robert Perez. Robert Perez. Yeah. How old? How old were you when you started looking at Robert and saying, "Man, I want to be like my cousin." Maybe like 12, 12 years old. 12 years old. What team was he playing for? He played for several teams. He played. Um, he first came to the majors with the Toronto Blue Jays. And he also played for the New York Yankees, Milwaukee Brewers. Um, Montreal Expos back in the day. Now it's the Nationals, uh, Washington Nationals. Um, I think he played also with the Seattle Mariners. Wow. So I, I see him on TV. I see him like yeah. how big how – Big of a star he was in, in Venezuela. I said, man, I want to be someday like him. <laughs> so, I mean, that was uh, my goal. I said, you know what, I want to try my best to do that. And I, and I, I kind of knew that if I put all my, all my effort, I'll be able to accomplish that. So let's talk about that for a second, Danny, because you're, I'm just picturing a young Danny Blanco, 12 years old in Venezuela, watching the TV. Your cousin's a superstar, and you're just inspired in that moment, right? Correct. And so... What's going through your mind at 12 years old? I mean, what, do you, what challenges are you facing at that age in Venezuela within your community to begin this journey to become a professional athlete? What types of challenges did you face early on at 12 years old? Uh, for me at the moment, I would say uh, my phys- physique, uh, my body, you know, it was, uh, wasn't developed and big enough to – to be considered as a, a, a professional athlete. And, you know, when he hit the, the supposedly hit the, the age when you're supposed to develop, you know, like 
you, you get like a manhood, let's put it that, that, uh -huh. say that way, 13, 14, 15 year old, and I still was having the same 12 year old, 12 year old body. body. <laughs> and it was getting, you know, frustrated. Even my dad took me to the doctor, something was wrong with me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's how, you know, and to see kids younger than me be being bigger and stronger than me. It was, it was, it was very discouraging, but you know, I, I just knew that I, I gotta keep, keep trying. So at that young age, were you playing baseball every day? How were you starting this dream? How were you seeing you getting there to be able to play baseball? I was playing literally, um, and over there, it's a little different than here in the US when kids pretty much play baseball year round. Over there, it's like maybe six months you play baseball and then you practice one day and you play one day, one day a week. So it's not that much of a playing time or, or, or opportunity to get better. You know, you gotta just do extra work on your own to, to get better at your craft. And, um, you know, once uh, I get to that, at that stage, I was facing another issue with, where it was exposure. There wasn't that many scouts, you know, and you need to have the connection with trainer, you know, in the area, knew the scout, they will come to a tr do a tryout, and you have to be, you know who's coming, you know who's coming, you know, you have to be chasing people. And that was another, that was another challenge, especially if they don't think that you will be good enough to sign, you know, they will probably include in that list of select players they want the scout to see. Yeah. So safe to say, Danny, I mean, the odds were stacked against you early. Mm -hmm. um, growing up in Venezuela, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of structured community youth programs no. for your sport of baseball. So you were practicing a day a week. Maybe you had a game a week. So that's the first kind of thing, that first headwind coming against you, right, right, is the fact that there's not a whole lot of opportunity and structure to really perfect the craft. You had to do a lot of work even early on. Correct. On your own, on your own time. And then the, uh, the, the second challenge that you had is that there wasn't a lot of, you know, MLB scouts cruising around Venezuela looking for the next, you know, superstar and talent. So how did you make, where did you find your first break in getting, uh, getting noticed with a scout or a connection? How did you make that first connection? Uh, well, I will say um, there was a guy also that played the major, Oscar Soccer, and I was related, but like third cousin. It was like a really long relation. And uh, one of the trainers, you know, he was visiting and signing, signing, you know, doing a clinic in my, in my city. And he introduced me to the guy and said, this kid, you know, you know he really want to play baseball. Is so anything you can help him out? So that guy, um, he um, scheduled a tryout with a winter ball team back in Venezuela. And then I went there, and I was there for a week, but nothing came out of it. But when I came back, so, oh, Danny Blanco, he was, you know, training for the Caracas, uh, Leones of Caracas, Caracas Lions. There's a, a winter ball team there. And then once that happened, you know, a lot of teams started, you know, uh, getting me to play for them. You know, I was getting to play a little bit more like a regional tournament. So then when you, you get a little more exposure. Mm -hmm. You know, I love where this conversation is going, Danny, because, you know, one of the things I'm hoping our audience takes away from this conversation today is that no matter what they're facing in life, what, however the, 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 uh, the cards might be stacked against them, um, you can keep working through it and keep pursuing your dreams as you have obviously uh, done and accomplished in your life. 
And so I want to I want to talk a little bit more and dive a little deeper into some of the challenges that you faced. You know, we talked about the lack of community structure for the sport itself, mm-hmm. the exposure, making your first connection. You're kind of touching on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about your dad for a minute. <laughs> okay. your, your dad was also encouraging you to um, fo- focus on academics primarily and not pursue this dream of baseball. Can you talk about that a little bit and how even your own family was kind of, you know, encouraging you to, to maybe not chase that dream so aggressively because the odds are really stacked against you, David. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I was I was a really good student um, during the high school, and, you know, my dad noticed that. And between my brother and I, you know, everybody have this agreement that my brother had probably a better chance to play professional baseball. He was younger than me, bigger, stronger than me. Um, so my dad, you know, you know, my best route would be continue my education, go to college and get a degree because I was, I, was, I was a good student. I was a good student. Uh, but my mom, man, my mom, you know, she never uh, say no to me. She, you know, if you want to do a son, go ahead, do it. You know, I'll support you as much as I can. And, and I just, you know, I tried, you know, sometimes sneaking, you know, out of school to go train, you know, with some kid that already signed. So I want to train with guys that already signed up a professional contract and see how they train, you know, what they do, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was uh, I, I got in trouble, you know, a few times <laughs> with my dad for you know for skipping school, you know, for to train. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for mom being there to to yes. support and back you up and continue that along. Absolutely, you know, she's um, you know, she she was a, a she still has a big influence in my life. Very nice. So you had. Dad, looking at your brother, saying that your brother has a, a better chance than you do, which has to be hard in your own house being told someone is better than you are. Mm-hmm. And yet you, you persevered. And yeah. I know that you, you saw, maybe you saw some scouts around that time that gave you some advice. Tell us a little bit about your experience with scouts around that time. Well, um, I want to connect that with, you know, with the two uh, statement that you said. Uh, my brother went to play a national tournament and he got invited uh, to practice with, uh, with this kind of like academy, kind of like a training. And there was a scout come, few scouts coming to see those, those guys. And it was like a three hour drive. My dad took and I, I, told, I told my dad, I want to go there. I want to be there too. I said, well, let's talk to the guy that invited your brother. So we get there and then you know, my dad told the guy, I talked to the guy, I just want to have a shot. I got a shot, and then the guy said, well, you know, you're already here, so I guess, you know, you can, you can stay here. You know what I mean? You know, that's, that was the answer. The guy wasn't happy. Um, I remember that was, uh, we were training there for a week or two, and there was maybe, when finally the, the day for the tryout came, it was like probably like 60 players uh, trying to sign. And the first day, uh, 20, only 20 made the cut. And I made the cut. My brother didn't, didn't. <laughs> it was funny, that, but yeah. And out of those 20, another seven players made the cut. I made the seven, seven the, that cut. That guy was trying to play me in different positions. Usually I was trying for outfield and because of my size. Was, you know, outfield, usually an outfield is a big guy or really fast guy. I wasn't either one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he kind of tried me in second base. As a second baseman, I, of course, never played that position. You know, of course, I didn't look too good yeah. <laughs> playing second baseman. And after that, I, I talked to the guy and you know, I asked him, what can I do, you know, to, to, to get better? And then, you know, like I explained, you know, for your size, you know, you, know, you need to fly, you know, when you, when you run. So what I mean is you need to be extremely fast, you know, because of your size. 
And dad took that, um, and also he said, that's some scout say. And I always say, when you try something, try to be your best. If you want to be a ballerina, the best ballerina. If you want to be a doctor, the best doctor. If you want to be a, a baseball player, the best baseball player. If you want to be a, a, a salesperson, the best salesperson. Always try to be the best in whatever you want to do. And then I took those, those two things and went back home and started working on it. You know, I right. st- started going um, thing, uh, to the track uh, and ask questions to the coaches, uh, see what they're doing, writing down, you know, drills they will do, and, and start doing on my own those, 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 those drills. So it sounds like you had a lot of self-discipline, Danny, to, um, you know, to, to take the feedback which, by the way, the scouts' feedback was brutally honest, right? I mean, that's that's terrifying. You're too small. You're not fast. Like you, you better like pick up your speed. You need to start flying if you want to really get a shot at you know this dream that you have. And so you know you took that feedback. And again, it, it's not easy to receive feedback. So the fact that you took this brutally honest feedback, went back home, and for ten months or so, mm-hmm. went to the track and watched you know the track and field athletes and the types of drills that they were running so that you could figure out how to be the fastest guy you could possibly be. Correct. And so, you know, daily, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, mm-hmm. so every day you were working these drills, you were working on your speed, and you started to improve that speed, right? Correct. And so what was the actual, you know, uh, times that you were clocking when you got the feedback versus uh, after you did the 10 months of really dedicated training to increasing that speed to then go back for that second chance? Oh. Uh, well, I think um, my original time was probably like in the, you know, we run the 60-yard dash when we get, you know, getting a tryout for baseball. Um, that tryout, they run, I think, I believe, 6-8, I think, 6-8, which is not bad. You know, anything below 7 is, is, is good. But because of my size, I need a little faster, you know. And then I start, start training, you know, besides those exercises I was doing. I also was trying r- running on the beach, uh, in the sand. I would mark the 60-yard dash. You know, I start watching my hand on myself. I start running, running and trying to break seven. So I know if I break seven in the sand, I know I will do really right. good on the hard surface. Um, and I started doing that um, until I, the time when I signed, I ran six four three, and the 60-yard dash. I was taking like a 10, 11 months to get there. Wow. But it was, uh, I, I went through a couple of uh, pull uh, hamstring and... <laughs> Without, because it's a lot of strain on your mind and your legs, especially you know when you you know if I had nobody telling me slow down, rest, I didn't know anything. I just wanted to kind of train, 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 and get better. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. I just a couple of recap thoughts here, and we're going to shift gears and and talk about you know your big break Mm because it is coming for the audience. Uh, Very exciting part of the story, but you know. As a recap, right, the challenges that you're facing, you're born in Venezuela in a community that doesn't really have the structure. It's hard to get the exposure. You've got a father that's saying, hey, you're probably, you know, not big enough, not fast enough, probably should stick to academics, right? Uh, But you kept pushing forward. And, you know, you had your mom in your corner, obviously, to help encourage you to keep pushing it. Everybody needs somebody. But really, you were the one that took on full ownership of the self-discipline to wake up every day and to keep pursuing, to keep chasing it, to get the bad feedback from the scout, to then go work by yourself, right? I mean, did you have somebody that was saying, hey, you got to get up today at 8 a.m. and and go run, you know, as fast as you can in the sand? I mean, you had to self-impose that structure and that discipline to improve yourself and your speed, right? Yeah, well, and let me uh, add some some things to that. You know, when you really want something that bad, um, 
within those 10, 11 months I was training, there was a tryout that came to my, a scout that came to a tryout in my city. And I just happened, maybe like four days before that guy arrived, I pulled my hamstring training. But I, you know, there was like, for me, I saw this opportunity and I want to do it. So I got tied up my, I got a bandage tied up really hard my, my, my leg and I run the 60 yard dash like that. And I still run 6-7. Also, no, it wasn't that bad. You know, I still 6-7 with, <laughs> right. with the pull hamstring. Uh, and then I would get out in the morning, you know, 6 in the morning, run, did a couple miles. And then it was like a really this steep um, hill that would just sprint, you know, to get, you know, that strength in my legs. And it would go to the point when I would just, after 7, 8 sprint, without knowing I was puking myself. That's how push how hard I was pushing myself to that. So, and that, yeah, I was by myself on those days. I didn't have nobody tell me, go, and no, I would just do it myself. Because that's how when you want something so bad, that's what you do. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting here is that we're talking about this as though you were older and you had this self-discipline and this dedication, this drive internally to be able to do that, come up with a plan and execute it. Tell our audience roughly how old you were at the time when you took this on yourself. Uh, 16, uh, 16 years old. I don't think we know a lot of 16-year-olds <laughs> that would be able to stick to that and create a plan and have the discipline to do that. I think most 16-year-olds are, are trying to sleep in a little bit rather than <laughs> go run hills in the morning. Well, I, I knew that back in the day over there, I mean, in Venezuela, there is no draft system. It's just a free agency. And usually when you turn 19 years old, 20 years old, you pass your window. You, you're missing your window. So I only have a small window through three years, two, three years to make it happen. So I, that's why I, I couldn't just take it easy. I just I needed to push to get signed before I turned 19. Because I already have a bad car, so I can't add another bad car to my, to my stock. You know, I need to kind of push it. Well, this is at the point, too, we've talked about before Jose Altuve made it big. And that kind of model of baseball player wasn't really making it in the majors at that time. The undersized professional baseball player was not a thing back then, right? Yeah, no, no. You didn't see, you know, that was not a thing. Yeah. Altuve, and still, Altuve is like, I don't know, like a freak of nature. I mean, he's unbelievable. You know I mean? A guy with his size, all the stuff he can do. Yeah, it, it is. And if, and if you hear you know, a story about his scout, then his scout was a little concerned when he signed, oh my God, I will, I will get fired if this kid doesn't perform. That's how, you know, it's, it's scary to sign a kid, you know, that, with that, that small. Okay, well, that's the perfect lead-in. So let's hear about all of this work paying off for you. From the time that you were 12 years old and you decided this is what you wanted to do, mm -hmm. and you took the rejection from home, you took rejection from scouts repeatedly, mm -hmm. kept at it, made your own course for 10 months to get your speed up, injuries, all of it, and just kept fighting Tell us about when that finally paid off for you. Uh, well, my big break, <laughs> it came through my cousin. You know, he was playing back in the day. Again, he was playing. He was big in Venezuela. And, and I called him. And, you know, I, was, uh, I wasn't getting that many people calling for scouts, for tryouts. And I called him and said, hey, you know, I knew that the general manager for the Winter Bowl team, he was a scout for the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, I asked him, hey, cousin, you know, I want this. I need your help. So well, let me see what I can do. He called the guy and he set up a tryout just for me. So I had to take a 16, 17 hour uh, bus ride from my city to the city where they were playing. Um, and I arrived there and the guy had me try out the same day. You know, I mean, I arrived there like, I don't know, like, you know, I left my home like 10 at night. I arrived there maybe like close to noon. Um, by three, I was in the field doing, you know, the tryout. 
And I, honestly, I didn't feel like I, I did that good. So I said, oh, I blew it. Yeah. That's what I, the first thing that I came to my head. But you know, the guy knew that was, I, I was on a bus for 17 hours, so of course my body won't be you know, as fresh. So what he said, he was going to US, here to US to a meeting you know, with the Cleveland Indians, and he wanted me to stay and train for another week there while he, while he come back. So and then that he did that. He, he came back uh, the following week, um, try out just for me. I was, you know, sweet, you know, so just no competition, just me. And then uh, he had me run the 60-yard dash. Then he asked my cousin to, to run with me. I don't know, I guess sometimes to push me maybe a little faster. And, you know, I remember that I smoked my, my cousin. You know, <laughs> and he was already a fast guy, I was smoking. And the guy called my cousin and showed the stopwatch. And my cousin gave me that, you know, the thumbs up, you know, that was good. And when I hear the guy saying, well, Mr. Robert, um, how much you think you, your cousin is worth it? When he said those words, okay, we're in business now, we finally, <laughs> I never heard that before. So, and then, you know, we negotiated, you know, my signing bonus and, you know, next day I started playing ball, you know, signed my professional contract. So we're talking about the Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Indians right now. Correct. And this first round of your first break is in the, we're at the Dominican? Dominican Republic, yeah. Dominican Republic is where you're, you're playing now for the Cleveland Indians. Correct. You've arrived, right? Yeah. And so let's talk about, you know, this next season now where, you know, you're, you're going to four a days, practice, structure, um, you know, you're working out, you're playing games, you're hitting the weights, but you also had another barrier, which was your language, right? And you had to start taking English lessons with the Cleveland Indians so that you could communicate on the field and things like that, right? Well, with Dominican, in Dominican, uh, the toughest part was, I guess, adapting to the food. You know, it's a different country. First time get out of Venezuela and use, you know, being in a big room with, you know, with, Bunker bed with this thick of uh, mattress <laughs> and plywood underneath. So that and then share that and the bathrooms, no division, toilets or you know, it just was it was hard. And then the food was different. So it, it wasn't was, the lap of luxury. No <laughs> okay. at all, no at all. And the food was you know what I it took me the first year was hard. I mean I lost a lot of weight at the beginning. It, it, the food was was awful. <laughs> food that way, uh, but it was like you know you get up seven seven thirty eat. And be at the field at eight thirty in the other line. Practice from eight thirty to eleven thirty. Thirty minutes. They give you thirty minutes to get a lunch, which usually is a soup and a banana. That was your lunch, and then play the game at twelve thirty. Oh. Play a game, you know, with different teams, and you play until I don't know. Sometimes go four o'clock, three thirty. Then after that, then you know you could go either uh, extra work at the gym or take English classes. And by the time you get to the to the apartment or the the place where we're staying, the food was there on the table, cold. You know, the rice was you kind of just hammer the rice, you know, with the <laughs> tables. It was awful. It was awful. But you know, and that's why I really, you know, in, in that lead, you really had to put the numbers to get out of there. So people, you know, oh, I need to put them. I don't want to come back again here. You know, you need to put the numbers. So it's, it's, it's rough the in dream. Dominican. Living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So being in that different environment with a challenge and, and not having a, a luxury clubhouse or even decent food for you at that mm -hmm. time, I'm thinking that all of the work that you put in to get there helped you be better prepared mentally to battle against that challenge? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I saw there a lot of guys from Venezuela. I knew them. They came from a, a kind of wealthy family that 
they were having hard. They struggled. I was struggling. They were super struggling. I mean, it was hard. I mean, you know, uh, those conditions. But I mean, it was what it, you know. That's kind of the filter to make it. You know, earn your visa and come to U.S. to play baseball. So you obviously had been through so much at this point, fought through all of the challenges, got yourself in shape, got yourself signed, went through the league in the Dominican. What happened after that? Tell us where you went from there. Well, after that, um, I didn't make a good number the first year, uh, so I had to go back the second year to Dominican Republic and then finally make the numbers to come to U.S. And then um, I think uh, Winter Haven was the... With the, the spring training facility for the Cleveland Indians back in the day, now I think it's in Arizona, and then um, and then I get traded to the Giants after that. Uh, it was a big trade. Um, it was Wilson Alvarez, Julian Tavares. You know, it was a lot of guys there. I mean, it was a player to be named later, so I was making that player. Um, and then I started playing with the Giants in 1997. It was my first season with the Giants. So I went to Arizona. And ended up making the uh, able team, I would say. Wow. I, I love that you were part of the Giants organization. I was <laughs> say, as a Giants fan, this is pretty cool to <laughs> know that you got to play for them. So how was your time in, in San Jose? How did that work out for you? Uh, I mean, it was d different. You know, first time in the U.S., you know, in this part of, in California was, was different. You know, I, I thought that my English was good enough to hang out, but now, I mean, I remember going to the restaurant and, oh my God, McDonald's, uh, number one, <laughs> number two, or, you know, Wendy's, number three, you know, because I couldn't put the words together. I mean, that was, uh, that was the cultural and, and, and the language barrier was, 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 uh, was at that moment the most difficult thing, you know, here in the U.S. Uh, but, you know, playing with the uh, San Jose Giants, I, I met my ex-wife and which is my, my daughter's mom, um, and I, you know, I got released playing for them and from that, in that city, and ended up uh, actually going to college in Santa Clara for uh, Mission College. So let's, let's pause in that moment, because that's kind of a big moment, right? I mean, you've been chasing this dream now for mm -hmm. probably 10 years or so, and mm -hmm. you've been now, you know, in the United States for a couple of years, traveling mm -hmm. around, playing ball mm -hmm. uh, with, this, with the Giants mm -hmm. organization, mm -hmm. and then you get released. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this pivotal moment, right, is what's next for Danny Blanco. And so, you know, talk to us about that, tr that transition from playing ball to now, you know, being in California, looking for a career. Obviously, you talked about or thought about going back to school, and you chose to go back to school and then go pursue a degree. I, I originally, I, actually, I tried to continue playing baseball. Um, I, at that moment, I, I went to a trial for independent uh, team in Sonoma. And there was a team there that actually offered my contract, uh, Evansville, Evansville Otters. I mean, and, but it was like, I don't know, $1,000 a month, something like that. And then my then wife, she said, I don't know anybody there. I'm not going there. You know, and I shouldn't, you shouldn't go there. You should stay here, you know, gotta, you know, gotta get, get some degree, get some education, and, you know, and, and, and you know, think about, you know, starting a family at some point. And, you know, it, it was hard. It was hard. I got to tell you, it was hard. I mean, I, at that moment, I wanted to be selfish, and, you know, I don't care. I want to keep playing baseball, you know. But, you know, at the moment, also thinking about my family back home, you know, that, I, you know, that could be helping. And uh, I just thought that was probably wasn't what I wanted, but probably the 
the best decision that you know they could take in that moment. And I decided just to stay and go to college, get a sexual education in college. So where where'd you go to school? What was that experience like for you? Uh, I actually enjoyed it. You know, the first two years I was mostly ESL classes, you know, to learn the language. Um, uh, my ex-wife always encouraged me to listen to the news, to read the newspaper. You know, you get a, you know, you enrich, you get a, a good vocabulary there. You know what I mean? And that also helped me a lot. And then after that, I just went to a computer science degree, mm-hmm. and I got my A degree there. So it took me like maybe like five years, five years to complete my social degree in, in Mission College. Yeah, it's an incredible story, Danny. I just love listening to you share. You know this this whole mindset and the tenacity that you've had to develop in your life uh, to overcome the challenges and the hurdles, you know, at an early age to get into, you know, the, uh, the, the, the baseball circuit in the United States. I mean, that's quite the accomplishment. You should be proud of that. Well, thank you. And thank uh, you. it's an inspiring story. And I appreciate you kind of sharing with the audience the, the struggle and the challenge that you had to endure and overcome in order to, you know, achieve that dream. And that's, it's just a really cool story to hear. Um, let's talk about life after baseball now and real estate. I mean, how in the world did you get into selling real estate? Uh, that was fun, man. Um, actually one of my first job out of baseball here in the U S was, uh, telemarketing, uh, for this, uh, this guy from Nicaragua. He was looking for a Spanish speaking telemarketing. Well, there we go. Cause my English wasn't that good at that moment. Uh, and I make a, uh, I make, I made a good relationship with this guy. We started being friends, um, and I was there maybe for a year, and then you know, then we lo- he closed the shop, and you know, we lost we lost contact, and then it wasn't until maybe a few years later, um, I bump into him, and you know, hey, you come to the house, and I went to his house, and see like this huge house with a BMW, and said, hey, man, what are you doing? You selling drugs? What, 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 what the deal? <laughs> I mean, can you before have a neon, and you have like a small house, and then he was telling me, no man, real estate, and the guy into real estate, I got my license, and you know, this is a very good uh, career, you should look into to get your license. And you know, I, I started doing that, I, you know, I was still doing, you know, at that moment I was doing desktop support for a company called uh, National Semiconductor, so I was still doing that, Monday to Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, I go to the flea market, you know, do, you know try to get leads and stuff like that, <laughs> call calling and stuff like that. Um, and then I remember my first transaction was, uh, was in Santa Cruz, and when I gave my commission check, I mean, it was like, you know, it was like, holy moly, I mean, that's like a six month of, of desktop support, you know what, and, you know, the guy said, look, imagine if you can do that, you know, full time, and that was scary, you used to go from, you know, uh, have a paycheck every every two weeks to just when you close the transaction, it was a very, you know, I, I was scared, I was scared, but again, I took the same approach of, uh, Baseball, you know what? You know, I, I can do this. I can do this, and and, uh, and I, I went, I went for it. You know, I started doing this full time, uh, and I have this, but I, I didn't have the, the coaching or the guidance with this guy because he was doing thing. You know, I think he got his uh, his license just studying by himself, which I did also by myself too, used to by myself, and I didn't have that good coaching. You know, I didn't notice the difference, like a be like a professional real estate agent, until I I, I have a transaction with one Remax agent here in this area, uh, Maria Macaro. And I just, I love how, you know, they they approach, you know, real estate, you know, they, how they interact, how they, you know, you know, how they do business, you know, very professional. And I said, oh man, that's how this thing should be done. That's, I like that, I mean, because I wasn't enjoying that much with the guy, used the money, but, you know, I just, uh, it doesn't feel right that he's doing, you know what I mean? And I just went ahead and, 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 
And you know, I told you know my friend, when I keep friends, you know, when I, you know, but I'm gonna I wanna join another friend, I wanna join Remax uh, uh, Goal. And then I make the uh, the uh, the jump. I met uh, Joe Galmeister at the Rossville office, and that was uh, when I started my career with Remax uh, back in 2000, I believe 2004 or five, 2005, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fifteen years later, still here. Yeah. <laughs> Loving that we get to talk to you and hear the story about how you got here. So, talk to us about how you went from getting leads at the flea market mm -hmm. with a, with clients that you would find there. Mm -hmm. How did you grow and transition your business in in this market and being in Rockland, Roseville, Lincoln? How did you do that? Well, once I moved, I, I you know once I moved from the Bay Area, I, li I used to live in Sunnyvale in the Bay Area, so I moved here in Sacramento to Lincoln. Um, what I did was uh, the first, I would say, first six months, I paid for uh, radio advertising um, and the Spanish-speaking uh, radio fiesta, and there was another one. Um, you know, I, I and I got some, some, some clients, some leads, and you know, from from that, and you know, and I from that moment I start building from there. You know, uh, most of my clientele nowadays is repeat clients and, and referrals, which I love. You know, you don't have to sell yourself. Um, and that, that's, that's how I started things, you know, rolling. Um, Remax, you know, after what happened, after Remax, flea market, yeah, you just keep, you know, uh, making phone calls and, 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 you know, connecting, you know, learning how to prospect because I don't think I knew how to uh, prospect correctly, you know, at that moment. I'm just curious, Danny, I mean, you know, given your background and your story, you know, with, with baseball mm -hmm. and the mindset that you had to develop over that journey, you know, what, what are the most, you know, important takeaways that you pulled from that experience to then apply to your real estate business specifically? I would say be the best in, in what you do. I mean, I know that in, in this business, real estate, you're always learning. I mean, and I still have a lot to learn in this, in this business. I still have a lot to learn, but... I whatever I do, I try to do it the best I can do. I mean, I, I don't like to do a halfway job. I like to do a full, you know, complete. I want my clients to be happy. I treat my, I treat my clients like they are my friends, they are my family. I mean, I think that it goes a long way because at first, you know, I will say, I don't know, uh, you know, my clientele, I would say 95% was Spanish-speaking clients and 5% others. And, uh, and I got to the point when, you know, you know, other uh, brokers, managers, realtors, you know, they, hey, that's your niche, you know, they're, they're, you know, the Hispanic, yeah. But I want to expand myself. I don't want to just get myself used to be Hispanic, right. uh, Hispanic agent. I want to, you know, I want to, want to, want to expand. And I uh, bumped into um, Roy Machado. I think he was a former Remax agent, and uh, and I worked with him uh, at the Midtown office for a while, and you know, and. Learn a lot from him. I gotta tell you, you know, I learned a lot how he run business. You know, I like the way that he does that. And then he told me, Danny, you need to kind of expand yourself. You know, what I mean, you know, and then you know, I will suggest to you to go uh, to Midtown, uh, Citrus High, Antelope. You know, those areas beside. I was focusing Rockland, Rossville, and Lincoln, which I, I used to live in Lincoln, and I was doing a lot of baseball. Um, Consulting there, per se, you know, lessons, you know, clinics uh, that were helping the high school in Lincoln, and I thought at the moment, you know, that that would be uh, my 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 door to get into, you know, that clientele and, and increase my clientele, 
which didn't happen. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened, but it didn't happen. You know, I guess people didn't didn't think I was good enough to help them with the real estate need, only with their kids, you know, <laughs> baseball uh, uh, career. And once I took the advice of, of Roy and I saw it, you know, I started, you know, connecting with, you know, uh, native-speaking speak, uh, Americans, it just, it just it started growing. Right. I mean, because I noticed over there people were more, like, open-minded. They don't care if you were Hispanic, if you were gay, if you were a woman. If you do a good job for them, they want to hire you, they want to recommend you, and they will refer you. Right. And, and that's what happened. That's exactly what happened when I did that. And I started getting the confidence, you know, I can do this. No, you know what? I'm gonna, now I'm going to go to global, you know, all Sacramento, Placer County, all kind of clientele, not just Hispanic. Yep. And then right now I will say my business, what I will say, 60% uh, Hispanic, 40% um, uh, Latin American. That, that time period, that transition in mm -hmm. working from primarily Spanish-speaking clients mm -hmm. to transitioning into um, English as a first language clients, that had to be kind of scary to be able to make that jump and feel comfortable speaking to people that spoke English naturally and helping them with their transactions. It was. It was. And especially when uh, sometimes because my accent, I had to, you know, oh, what did you say that? What is that? You know, I had to repeat two, three times, you know, people, oh, okay, okay. But when I started hearing some of the people that were that sharing their real estate experience with other agents, they were like, you know, Americans, and they were, you know, saying how bad it was experience. I said, well, I don't do that. I mean, I, I mean how can an agent can do that? I said, you know what, these people have to kind of be treated, you know, there's people out there, you know, that they've not been treated fairly. And, and I, you know, I just said, you know what, I know I can do this. And that's when I got the confidence, you know what, I don't care. I, I will put my fears or my action behind, and I, I know I can do it. One day, give me the chance to... To do my to do the job that they are looking for, uh, it's, it's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna come, come come together, and that's what happened. Yep, Danny, it's so incredible to hear your journey and your story. I really have enjoyed this time together. Um, what kind of final thoughts would you give the listeners today? I mean, you know, most of the folks listening in are probably in the real estate community, mm -hmm. and of course, in the real estate career, we have our own sets of challenges and you know, things that we have to face on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. some people don't like making calls. Some people, you know, have a challenge maintaining consistency in their business. And there's all kinds of noise in the marketplace. I mean, you know, our, ourselves can oftentimes be our, our greatest, you know, uh, obstacles to overcome is the, is the game that's played between, you know, our two ears and in our mind uh, and the self-talk that we have to go out and be productive each day and to conquer each day. There's a, there's a lot that goes into being a successful, productive you know, full-time real estate agent today. And so what advice, what words of wisdom might you want to impart on the audience today with that in mind? Uh, I would say don't be afraid uh, to, 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 to try to make happen your dreams. You know, don't be afraid to try things. I mean, you know, and I'm, I, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I know by any chance, uh, discipline, a, cons a consistent, you know, doing my, my things on real estate, I'm not. But um, but when I when it's done, I mean, I can see, you know, that it's doable. Everything is doable if you put your mind into. Um, and I guess things are connecting is, I try to do, you know, I, I was talking to Stephanie the other day um, about uh, the golden rule, which is I told my, my, my daughter, you know, treat others like the way you like to be treated. I mean, and, and you know, just, just by doing that, you know, <laughs> you generate business. Just, just, just when people see that you treat them fairly, 
you know, I mean, that, that will help you. And then just try to do the thing, you know, uh, coaching. Um, uh, when I said I mentioned uh, Patrick Brooks, you know, he's one of the newer agents in, in Vallejo. And I know Patrick since he was like 15 years old. You know, I, was, I helped him, you know, through his, uh, his beginning, his baseball career. He also played professional baseball with the Cubs. Um, and, you know, he went through some of the, you know, the struggle, though, you know, after getting released, you know, going back to normal life. You know, now it's like, as I think he's doing really good as, a, as, a, as, an, as an agent, and he had a really nice family. Um, when he got released from baseball, he called me, Danny, what, what now? Because, you know, I was there in that spot at some point, and I, and I tell him, you know, if you're in the real estate, you do it. I think, you know, you know that background of baseball is going to help you, like help me to, you know, try to do the best on, on, on real estate. And I think right now he's, you know, I think, you know, I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of the Patrick Brook. Um, what he's done and you know just helping people like that my daughter patrick I me mean, there's a couple of people there's another guy here in, in woodland that i've been helping to with baseball and now to other things after he got out of baseball it's just very rewarding and just doing that just you know i mean god i guess you know bless you for do the right thing you know what i mean and I, and that's what i i keep keep doing it and i yeah. keep doing that thing i go i go by that told my daughter that and you know going by that you know, what I hear, Danny, is I hear that there are no excuses, right? No. I mean, when I listen to your, your journey starting at the age of 12 and what you were going up against, the headwind that you were facing uh, all along your professional journey for baseball and even coming to the United States and transitioning out of baseball into college and into real estate and language barriers and all the things stacked against you, you certainly had plenty of opportunity to make excuses, but you didn't make excuses. You kept you kept fighting. You kept moving forward and progressing and working hard to get better at the language, to get better at the sport, to increase your speed, to get better in your business, to serve the client better. I mean, you're constantly pushing the envelope to improve yourself, and, and it's obviously paid off, and it's been such a privilege to kind of hear that journey, and I just hope uh, that today, as the listeners are uh, are listening in, that, that they get that from this conversation, that there are no excuses. You had plenty that you could have taken, yeah. but you chose to keep pushing forward, even against the headwind and the challenges that you face. So yeah. very cool. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I just keep saying that to people that is, that is important to me, like my daughter, Gabby. You know, I yeah. say, you know, when she says, well, the teacher's too hard. Well, that's not true. I mean, if the teacher is too hard, then get... Get pre- better prepared, and so when you know the, you can you can overcome whatever test or whatever he throw at you. I mean, just just look at me. If I did it with you know, like you say, you know, with, with the language barrier, cultural barrier. Um, I, I remember when I got released, I only have four hundred dollars in my pocket. That's all what I had in my pocket. That my name, four hundred bucks, and no family, not just my girlfriend at that moment. There was it was my wife, nobody else, and you know the little that I have right now is just because push, keep pushing, don't give up. You will fall down, get up, keep pushing. You go down. It's, it's not how, you know, I guess how, how, how many times you fail, you don't have time, you get up, That's keep right. pushing. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so honored that you've shared this with us today. Not only are you impacting the future generation in your daughter and business associates, but now our entire audience is going to hear your story and realize we don't have any excuses for not working hard today. We can't give up. We can't go soft. We can't go easy because you did this. And hearing your inspirational story, I think it's going to drive a lot of people to try that much harder to fight through 
and to become better at whatever it is that they want to do. Because yeah. like the, the scout told you, whatever you're going to be, be the best Try to be at the that. Best, yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing this oh, thank with us you. today. Thank this you for hiring me on the show. Appreciate it. The Machine, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Guys. The Machine, Danny Blanco. <laughs> it's been a privilege to uh, get to have this conversation with you today. This is the Juggernaut Podcast, and this is an epic uh, conversation around becoming the juggernaut in your life, in your business, in your health, in your wealth, in your family, in your relationships. And of course, that juggernaut is the unstoppable force. We appreciate all of you tuning in and listening to today's conversation with my friend, the machine, Mr. Danny Blanco. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Privilege of mine.